2021, what we are doing is we are asking this kind of important question. Will we see our stories as a part of the greater story that God is telling? Will we see our stories as part of the greater story that God is telling? So there is a God story, and then there are a lot of other stories, right? And a lot of other narratives that we are swimming around with in our life all the time. And which story that you choose to live out of changes everything that you experience in your life. So this is gonna be our focus this year. What is this big story God is telling? And how can we figure out what it looks like to join in this story and have our stories be a part of this greater story that God is telling? In theological terms, we call this the meta-narrative. And so here's what we're hoping. If we deepen our understanding of God's big story, then it will help us better understand the role that we get to play in that story right now. So today we're gonna to continue to talk about the, the overarching story. Later on, we're gonna to start to go genre by genre in different parts of the Bible, not necessarily chronologically or through the Bible the way that it is exactly, but what we're going to do is talk about the genres. But today we're gonna to continue to talk about the story overarching, and there's lots of different ways you can do that, but if you've been with us over these last few weeks, what you know is that we're looking at this four-part narrative of the story, the four major plot movements that many scholars have used in the past, and it's a really helpful way for us to get our heads around the big story and to see our role in the story now when we see these big four movements. Um, so here we go. Here's the four movements. Creation, disruption, redemption, and restoration. Let me give you a, a quick summary of each of these as you're looking at these images. Uh, and I, I really want people to be able to remember them, so maybe you can recite them from memory if you've been with us these last few weeks, but I hope that you can. So creation, God created the world good, and when he created humans, they were very good. Disruption, humans rejected God's leadership, and this resulted in sin and brokenness entering God's good creation and disrupting everything. Redemption, God so deeply loves humanity and creation that God is determined to redeem the evil and suffering from the disruptive force of brokenness. And then fourth, restoration. The restoration of all things will take place when Jesus returns to defeat sin and evil, and he will usher in righteousness and justice. And there's more uh, on these descriptions at our website, millcitychurch.com slash the story. But today we're going to dig in a little deeper to part three, redemption. We're going to dig into this redemption part of the story. So you may have seen this timeline, let me show that you here, that I showed a few weeks ago. It's a lot to take in, but you see these four parts, and I'm trying to show you the parts of the Bible that cover these four movements. And, and creation is just a couple chapters, and then disruption arguably is only a few more chapters of Genesis. And then the rest of the Bible from Genesis 8, some people say Genesis 12, depending on what you're looking at. But most of the Bible, all those other books of the Bible are the redemption story. This is a redemption story finishing in some parts of the New Testament, Jude, and for sure in Revelation. Even some of Revelation is about the, the redemption part of the story and not only about restoration. And so the story of God is a redemption story. The story of God is a redemption story. And so today I want to talk about how uh, we're in the midst of God's redemptive trajectory. And then I actually, after we talk about it a little bit, I want to prepare you. I want to do a short three-part spiritual practice together. Sometimes we talk about spiritual practices, but I just really enjoy when we have a chance to do it together. So we're going to be able to do that together before uh, we have worship and communion at the end. So I'm going to start out, though, with a true confession. And maybe some of you resonate with me in this confession. I rarely watch a movie more than once. Like, very rarely. So when people talk about their favorite movie and they're really excited because I could watch it a million times and never get bored of it, I literally don't know what that's like because there is no movie that I have watched 
many times, except for the Little Mermaid VHS that I wore out when I was a kid. Since then, there has not been a movie that I have watched over and over. And it's not to say that's bad, because I think that most people do have that. But for me, it's not been that way ever. And so I've been thinking about, well, since The Little Mermaid. So I've been thinking about, well, what is it? Why don't I watch it again? Because it's not that I don't appreciate the art or how great a movie might be telling a story. But what is it? And I was thinking about it. And I think it's because I like the way that it feels when you're just totally immersed in a story and you don't really know how it ends. I mean, like, you know it's going to end, like, good, or then people really wouldn't let it be their favorite movie, right? And you know that there's maybe even going to be a happy ending or something really heartwarming. And you kind of know that when you're watching the movie, but in the middle of it, there's all this tension, and you're thinking, how are we going to get there? And I think I just really appreciate that experience. You know, there's, like, a character that you've really fallen in love with, and you appreciate them, but they're in a bind. Or like the arch nemesis seems to be winning the day and you're thinking, oh man, what's going to happen here? Uh, how are we going to get from here in this tension all the way to this grand conclusion that you know is going to come? And I think that I love that when I'm watching a movie so much that, that when you know the ending and I know how we get there, it takes some of the fun out of it for me. And so I'm just not that intrigued to watch it again. And so I know I'm, people are going to text me about this, but that's just true confession, okay? So here we are, we're living in part three of the story of God. That's the tension part where we know the end of the story, but we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. And we know it ends with this grand story of restoration, but the problem is it doesn't always feel like we are in a part of the story that should be called redemption, right? We look around and it's like these moments in a movie where you ask, how is any good going to come from this? How are we going to get there? And here's the thing, living it is not as fun as watching characters go through it in a movie. That's for sure. The tension is fun when it's on a screen and it's not your actual life. But here we are living in this redemption part of the story, but oftentimes it doesn't look like it. It doesn't feel like it, does it? We're, we're inside of what I often call the messy middle. You might have heard me talk about that. And no one is able to convince themselves that we're in a tidy story at all if you've been living through the last 11 months, that's for sure. And so ever since this redemption story has started and God's story has been told, people have been griping about similar things as we do today. They look around and they say, is this redemption? This is supposed to be the redemption story? This doesn't feel like it. God is the author of this redemption story. And you can see God's redemptive trajectory time after time after time. Even when humans lose the plot, God responds with redemption. Even when humans lose the plot, God responds with redemption. Now, one of the clearest ways that we see this redemption trajectory in the meta narrative is through various covenants or promises that God makes with humans. And I'm excited because later this year, we're going to talk a little bit more about this deep theological concept of covenants that God makes with God's people. But we see this redemptive trajectory through these covenants or a promise to partner. God is saying, I promise to partner with you, humans. Now, God doesn't need to do that, but God chooses to partner with the humans. And God promises to partner and then asks them to make a commitment as well. There's two sides to that covenant commitment, just like in a marriage or other things we might commit. So now given the cultural context of these very ancient texts that some of you are reading through together, these covenants are made with men that you've likely heard about or read about, Noah, Abraham, and then the third one is with a whole, the whole nation of Israel, and then King David. But each time that those promises are made, humans can't hold up their side of the deal. Time and time again, God makes a new promise to covenant with humans and humans end up actually just rejecting it. 
we have some commitment issues, it turns out. So after these four big covenants are in the rearview mirror of the God's story, God's people find themselves in a pretty tough time. And in this time, they're being taken over by, by these oppressive groups, these oppressive regimes in the ancient world. Uh, and they're taking away their, their, their freedom and they're marginalizing people. And they're really going through a very difficult time. And it's during this time, they're experiencing all this pain and suffering. And if you read in the story, you see that it's a time, like many times we find in life, where it's understandable to say, where is the redemption here? How is this a redemption story? God's four huge attempts at, at redemption have seemed to fail because humans can't hold up their side of the deal. Yet people are crying out, how is this a redemption story, God? Where is our redemption? And during this time, God had some, some things to say to people after they were having that, that cry from their heart. And he used prophets or these people that were messengers to speak out God's heart to people at this time. And oftentimes when those prophets were responding to this cry of where is the redemption, they would respond with something like, well, the reason the story doesn't seem that redemptive is because you as individuals and a community didn't love God with your whole heart. You did not love your neighbor as yourself. You did not care about the marginalized as God just invited you to join God in doing. You were selfish. You wanted to go your own way again and again. And so that's a big reason this doesn't feel like redemption right now. Now, they did not even say it as nice as I just said it there, okay? But that was the message back to people. And when I read through the prophets, which we'll also do later this year, uh, it feels like we could hear many of their same words today just coming up in our life right now. But in the midst of all these messages from these prophets, from these messengers from God, we hear God clearly state, the redemption is not over. The redemption is not over. I have not given up on you. So I want to look at as an example of one of the most well-known prophets who is encouraging and comforting God's people, letting them know that God's redemption plan is still in motion, even if it doesn't look like it or it doesn't feel like it. So I want you to grab a Bible if you have one, turn to Isaiah 43. I'm not going to go through every part of this chapter. I'm going to skip through a few parts. You can listen back and read it back later. But watch and listen and listen for the redemptive trajectory in this passage as I read it, okay? Where do you see God's redemptive trajectory? This is what Isaiah says. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. Do not fear. Uh, I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Skipping over to verse uh, 10. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? Skipping to verse 18. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. You hear this theme of God doing a new thing, these new covenants, 
God is doing a new thing. And so Isaiah continues in the rest of this book. These other covenants are in the back. They've already happened. And the people are in this messy middle and they're saying, what's going to happen? And Isaiah continues to foreshadow or predict how there is going to be a savior that's going to come and not only continue the redemptive trajectory, but set a whole new redemptive trajectory that is going to be so amazing. And Isaiah and the other prophets keep referring to this, this new idea of a new covenant. And this idea seems to be this covenant is going to be paramount over all the previous covenants. And now we know, hindsight bias, that Jesus comes on the scene a few hundred years later after the prophets and his whole life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, through all of that, he fulfills all the other broken covenants. Not only does he start a new one and say those didn't matter, he fulfills all of the, the other side that the humans could not fulfill. He's from the family of Abraham. He is the faithful Israelite that can fulfill the law of God. He is from the line of David, but he is the king of all kings. And Jesus himself then says during the Last Supper where we get our practice of communion, he says, I am making a new covenant in my blood. So in summary, when we look back on the story, we see redemp the redemption story is guided by God. And as humans, we often think, we can take over, we can go our own way, and that never works. But again and again, God offers another way and another way and another way. And finally, Jesus comes as the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus redefines what it means to be a part of the family of God around himself now. No longer Father Abraham or some sort of certain king or some other dude. But humans can choose to identify if they want to. Any human can choose to identify with the redemption story of the King of Kings. It's an invitation. No one's being forced. People from every tongue and tribe and nation all are welcome to be citizens together of the kingdom of God. People with every background you can imagine, family together as children, making a home in the family of God. Jesus sets a completely new trajectory and this is where we find ourselves in the story, right? We're in the middle of this time where Jesus has set this new trajectory. And as humans, we see every day, right, in our own lives and in the world around us that we abandon our side of the deal. The brokenness, the sin, the destruction, the destruction in, the, in the world. It's so powerful, isn't it? And it feels like we so easily give in because in this chapter of the story, that brokenness is very powerful. Which is, I think, why we see so much destruction and disruption in the world. But here's the thing, nothing can stop this final covenant. It's not going to be like the others in the past because Jesus is not only holding up God's side of the deal, but Jesus is holding up our side of the deal in a way that we can't do on our own. And we need that. We can't do it. We've proven we can't do it. And so Jesus is able to say, I'm going to hold up the human side of the deal and the God side of the deal. And that's what makes God's love and mercy and grace so amazing and redemptive. So where does that leave us today then? God is making all things new. Like Isaiah said, like Jesus said about himself, even if it doesn't seem like it all the time. And since humans are continuing to abandon the narrative, we lose the plot. We find ourselves in a time of pain and suffering throughout our life, even though we see glimpses of that redemption around us, don't we? But it's true that it's hard sometimes. If we are going to be in this redemption part of the story, there is another way to live if we know that that's the part of the story we're in, even if it doesn't feel like it. Even when humans lose the plot, God responds with redemption. 
So how do we see the things that God is doing? Isaiah's words from God are so powerful. Thousands of years later, let me read it again. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. How do we find our way in the wilderness? How do we see the new things that God is doing? How do we perceive the redemption around us so that we can join in? These are really good questions. And I I think I have a a three-step process that comes right out of this text of the ways that we can move through three steps, spiritual practices that can help us, maybe even daily, (laughs) to say, how can we move through and be people who can see God's redemption around us so that we can join in? But I think that having a process is the only way that we can do it. And so here's the process I want to offer to you today. Step one, look at the pain and suffering the disruption has caused and be willing to lament. Look at the pain and suffering the disruption has caused and be willing to lament. Now, this is a hard thing to do because we don't want to look further or deeper into the pain and suffering, but I want to suggest it's an important part of the process. Step two, let go of alternative stories that are alternative to God's story and hold on to God's story. Let go of these alternative stories and hold on to God's story. And then step three, open our hearts to God's redemptive story every day. Open our hearts to God's redemption story every single day. These are the three parts, okay? Look at the pain and suffering the disruption has caused and lament. Let go of alternative stories and hold on to God's story. And then open our hearts to God's redemption story every day. So for the rest of our time, instead of talking about all these things, I just want us briefly to go through these three parts because sometimes I think it seems like a good idea, but then we don't actually do it. And I'm hoping that you can do this with us right now. And this will give you just some ideas of how you might do this on your own or with a smaller group of people or with your family uh, going through these three parts. So starting with part number one, step one, look at the pain and suffering the disruption has caused and lament. Now, a prayer of lament, if you're not familiar, is simply crying out to God about the pain in your own life and in the life of other people. God actually invites us to do this, to bring these emotions to God. So I want you to try this with me, if you're willing to close your eyes and just start to think, I know it's hard, but start to think of the suffering that has been weighing down on your heart. Start with your own life. What are the things that have been weighing on your mind and heart? Think about the people around you in your life that you're closest to. What comes to mind? Who comes to mind? We start with seeing and looking at this pain and suffering. Just look it right in the face. Broken relationships, maybe people who are sick, people you're worried about, things in your own life, fear that you're experiencing, pain. Now think about uh, wrongs in the world. What wrongs, things that are wrong in the world have weighed on you most heavily lately? What are the the justice issues that really make you sad or frustrated or even angry? Just let your mind go to what are the things that come up right away that you know are wrong things that you know God needs to make right. So taking time to do this, this is something you can do anytime. And then you just tell God how you feel. As though you were venting to a friend, but like a really good friend that you know you can trust. And you can be totally, completely real and vulnerable with. Okay, you can open up your eyes and let me give you one more tip. Sometimes it helps to actually write out a lament or to read one of the many lament psalms that we can find in the Bible. 
There have been some current songs that have been written as laments, and Ashish has actually collected some of those on our blog at millcitychurch.com where you can listen to those songs. And today, to put to words some of the pain that many of us have been feeling, Ashish prepared a lament song written by an artist named John Guerrera. And so we're going to just invite you to let this song, uh, maybe it will give you some words for things that have been on your heart if it resonates. And so then we'll move from looking at the pain and suffering like we just did, actually to a place of, of lament and lamenting the pain and suffering that we see in the world. So let this song guide you. Full of questions, quieting all my suggestions. What is the meaning of Christian in this American life? I'm feeling awfully foolish, spending my life on a message. I look around and I wonder ever if I heard it right. Coming to you, cause I'm confused. Coming to you, cause I feel used. Coming to weep while I'm waiting. Tell me you won't. Go. I need to know there's justice, that it'll roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. You were alone and rejected, misunderstood and detested. You gave it all, didn't hold back. You even gave up your life. How can we call ourselves Christians, saying that love is a tension between the call of the cross and between the old party line? Coming to you for the mothers who are all running for cover. There is a flood from their weeping. Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there's justice that it arose. And that you're building a city Where we arrive as immigrants And you call us citizens And you welcome us as children home There is a man with a family He has a wife and a baby He broke the law just to save them Working for three bucks an hour Truly you said we were equal Everyone's heart is deceitful Everyone born is illegal When love is the law of the land Coming to you for the hungry Eating the scraps of this country Didn't you swear you would feed them? Tell me you won't make them go I need to know there's justice That it'll roll in abundance and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens you welcome us as children home Power and protection. 
protection Claiming the Christ who was killed Killed by a common consensus Everyone screaming Barabbas Trading their God for a hero Forfeiting heaven for all Coming to you Cause I'm angry I'm coming to you Cause I'm guilty Coming to you Cause you promised To leave the flock for the one I need to know there's justice That it'll roll in abundance And that you're building a city Where we arrive as immigrants And you call us citizens And you welcome us as children home Where we arrive as immigrants And you call us citizens And you welcome us as children home always living in enemy hallways don't know my foes from my friends and don't know my friends anymore power is several prizes handcuffs can come in all sizes love has a million disguises but winning is simply not one about you but it means so much to me that God is willing to take that raw emotion from us and listen and respond and be a God who continues to move us forward in redemption so let's move to part two letting go of alternative stories and holding on to God's story letting go of alternative stories and holding on to God's story that's part two and so if you're if you're comfortable what I want to encourage you to do is actually put your hands out in front of you maybe on your lap or, or just right in front of you and make a fist and, and as you hold this, let's think about the stories that we hold on to in our lives. I'm not sure what those alternative stories are for you, but if you think about it for a little while, I bet they will come up in your mind and heart. And as we talk about these alternative stories, just slowly open your hands and let go of them. And you might have to let go of them again tomorrow, but let's do that together, okay? Let me read some of the, the, the alternative stories that came up in my mind as I thought about this. Stories like, this situation that I'm facing is beyond redemption. This person will never change. I will never change. Revenge is the only way. I am not worthy to be loved. I am too broken to be redeemed. I will never get better. Things will never get better. There is no hope. What other alternative stories come up in your mind and heart? And let's just release those. Release them to God. They're not God's story. And they're changing how we're experiencing ours. So now with your hands in front of you in this posture of receiving, let's receive the story that God has for us that we see in God's story. Maybe listen and see if God says anything specific to you. God's story says that nothing is beyond redemption. Change and transformation are possible with the Holy Spirit. And as you receive these new stories, let's grip those things instead. God created us in God's image. God loves you and God forgives you. God gives you strength to forgive others and to love even your enemies. Healing is possible. God can lead you to that healing. 
Brokenness is not the end of the story. There is always, always hope. Now hold on to that story tightly. Man, I'm, I know I'm going to have to do this again tomorrow morning, but that's what we're doing. We're holding on to that story that God tells us is true in God's story. Releasing that old story and holding on to God's story for us. Third and finally, step three, opening up our hearts to God's redemptive story every day. As our hearts are open, we might see this way in a wasteland. We might see the invitations to join into God's redemption right around us. Those invitations might be small. They might be things like trying to figure out how to love your neighbor. I saw an ambulance come to one of my neighbor's house the other day. I went over to her house multiple times. She wasn't there. I left her a note, got an email right before I came here today telling me all about it and thanking me for praying. It was so small, but I can't tell you how many times I thought, that's not worth my time. I've got other things to do. But that's joining into the redemptive story when we choose it. Little things like reminding our kids or the kids around us in our life that God's story is the one they get to live out of, not the one that other people project upon them because of the things that they are experiencing in their life. Little ways where we listen well to other people, really listen to their story behind even what they're saying. But it's sometimes in big ways that we get to join in. When our hearts are open, I promise you, God will show you big ways that you get to be a part of the redemptive trajectory and the redemptive story making wrong things right in the places where we have influence, engaging in conversations or changes that could transform systemic realities for so many people. God will open up our eyes and our hearts to that, but we've got to choose to have that posture of an open heart to God, to, to say to God, we want to join in this story. And do you see how we can't do that if we haven't lamented what we see broken? How we can't get to this open-hearted place if we don't let go of those other stories and then hold on to God's story. And then we have to say to God, okay, I'm open. Here's my heart. What does it look like for me to join in these difficult yet significant ways? Big ways, little ways in your redemptive story. There are opportunities for us to do that in the midst of the pain and the struggle that we see all around us. And there's different ways that you might open your heart. I'm not sure what that looks like for each one of you, but that's a good question. What does it look like for you to have that open-hearted posture to God in your life? I know for me, sometimes it's prayer and contemplation, but obviously I'm a verbal processor, so having conversations with other people is really helpful for me to just say, I want to have an open heart, and I find people who want to have those conversations with me as well. And oftentimes musical worship can be one of those ways too. I have certain songs that I play that just open my heart to how God might want to use me about how I can get involved and join in what God's doing. And so this, this final song that we're going to sing together with the worship team is one of those songs for me. It is one of those songs that every time I hear it without fail, I feel my heart opening up to how I can join God's redemptive story in the world. And so as we go into this final song, I also just want you to consider how can these three steps be a part of your life, even today, tomorrow, as we go into this week. But let this song be a song that, that leads you into this place of having an open heart as we begin a new week towards how we can join in God's redemptive story in the world.